Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make, and you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up later in today's Clark Rageous Moment, I can't believe I'm going to tell this to you. There are now reports that other banks, other than Wells Fargo, were involved in opening fake accounts. And I'm going to tell you what you need to know. And later, new report out on the best supermarkets in the country. It's my belief that the quality of supermarkets is on a steady uptick around the country. But there are those that shine with a really bright light on them and how they serve you. And I'm going to share that list with you later this hour. I want to talk right now about something involving your credit report that you cannot imagine would be related to the cost of purchasing an item. But this is a stunner. There are now more and more insurers, according to an industry survey, that are using your credit report or score or a combination of the two to set your life insurance rates. So insurers believe this is from somebody with the industry, said credit data, I'm just going to read you the quote, credit data overall isn't as important as family health history, but it appears to be a good predictor of good health and longevity. Really. So one more place where making a late payment to Visa or having a medical bill you didn't know about show up on your report affecting your life and how you're charged for life insurance, this is completely Clark-rageous. This is not a Clark-rageous segment. i got to tell you, that is Clark-rageous. But what it's leading to is distortion in the marketplace. States that had laws that prevented uh, insurers from using credit to set life ins- uh, set rates for auto insurance never occurred to them that they needed to have a provision preventing that for life insurance, according to NerdWallet. And so this is something that insurers can do around the country. And here's what it means to you. First, when you buy life insurance, I want you to look at the kind that really probably 99% of the time is what you should be looking at, and that is level term life insurance, where you buy a life insurance policy that only pays in the event of your death, no weird savings accounts or crazy kooky investments tied in with it. It just pays your survivors in the event you die. And truth is, most people who need it don't have it. You know, that they could leave a a spouse or significant other high and dry, kids in a lurch, if you don't have it. So we don't like dealing with life insurance. It's just something people don't like looking at, shopping for, and all that. So it's easy as could be now buying these level term policies online. I have a guide to doing that on Clark.com. 
There are even companies now that will issue a policy instantly without you even going through a medical exam by using algorithms where they check on your health history and then they decide if you're a worthy risk to issue you a policy. But then there's this additional wrinkle which says to me it has become more important to shop and compare from more than one insurer. Because if you're going to have insurers that are deciding your rates based on your credit score and others that aren't, wherever you are on the credit spectrum, very high or very low, people in the middle, it won't matter, you're going to find distortions in what you're charged from company to company, and that's why shopping around is so valuable, even more so now with this lame thing of setting rates based on your credit score. Seriously. Oh, well, somebody has a credit score of 682, so they're just not going to live as long. Right? Wrong. Wendy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Wendy. How you doing? Hey, Hey, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Wendy. How can I serve you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for what you do for everyone. And um, I know myself and many other people really appreciate you. Thank you, Wendy. Um, So what I wanted to ask you today was um, concerning um, small investments in companies that I'm interested in um, that have a positive impact on society and our um, environment. Um, And how to go about that. Um, I have not invested anything in the stock market before, and I'm not interested in going through a broker. Um, And it would be for a very small amount. And I I have not um, researched it all that much because it's something that I don't really want to spend a lot of time on. Um, I just want to put a little bit of money somewhere and then just leave it because I really feel that certain companies are going to make a big impact in the future. So you're interested, there are particular companies that you believe in that have as their corporate mission that they're doing things uh, in a way that you want to see them done, that they both make money and do so in what's referred to as a socially responsible way. Correct. So you can buy individual stocks in very small amounts and support those individual companies with an app you download to your phone called Robinhood. Oh, really? Okay. And Robinhood is free to buy stocks in individual companies, and it's just a simple download to an iPhone or an Android. You set up an account with them, and you buy those stocks. Oh, and it's as simple as that. As simple as that. You also have the alternative where you can buy a socially responsible fund where mm-hmm. the fund manager looks at companies, make sure they meet their criteria for what would be a socially responsible company, mm-hmm. and you can buy a fund of all-in-one purchase of many different companies that meet the criteria that has been established for that fund as what makes the cut as being socially responsible because different people uh, 
categorize socially responsible different ways. Correct. Yes. And how do you go about that then if someone's interested in doing... Well, you said you don't like brokers, but Charles Schwab has a list of socially conscious funds. And you can look through and see what criteria they use, what they cost to invest in, and see if there's one that you might like there. If you want to avoid even looking at a brokerage site, you can go to Investopedia. Investopedia, okay. And they have a list of socially responsible mutual funds. Okay, so Investopedia, Charles Schwab, and then Robinhood app. Yeah, and so with the Robinhood, you can actually buy a number of funds or individual stocks on Robinhood. Oh, that's great. Okay. Okay. One other thing is there's a website called Swell, S-W-E-L-L, investing.com. Okay. And they have set up portfolios to invest in companies that specialize in like uh, renewable energy or companies that want to have zero trash at all you know zero waste or companies that are into healthy living or whatever and so there are a number of ways to slice this but the problem with swell investing is it's pretty expensive you pay 75 uh, 0.75 of a percent uh, three quarters of a point for investing with them Mm -hmm. yeah that is high so but the, the, the point is this is a mainstream thing now and there are lots of choices for you to be able to do the kind of investing you want to do at low cost i love that thank you so much sure i really a, appreciate that absolutely have a great day you too thanks clark sure jim Bye. joins us on the clark howard show hello jim hi clark how are you doing today great thank you jim you want to stick with the investing theme that's right. Um, my fiance and I are are looking for uh, um, a financial manager, um, uh, like to do managed um, uh, financial planning, not just a, a one-stop shop. Set me up with something, but someone to to maintain an account. And it, it's somebody that her family has used um, and has done quite well for them. And as part of the initial consultation, they um, they want all kinds of information and you know the kind of thing i would expect account statements for credit cards banking and checking and savings investment accounts but they're also asking us to link all of our accounts on an e-money advisor site so they can view in real time all that information um, and also all the account numbers and that just makes me a little bit nervous that they're asking for so much information for accounts they're not even going to manage. So the reason that's done, and that's known as a screen scraper technology, Mm -hmm. is that in order to give you a comprehensive plan and go over everything you have and and help you meet the goals that that you have laid out, I hopefully to this person, what you're trying to accomplish specifically, and when mm-hmm. you'd like to have it, like, we'd like to retire by such and such a date. We'd like to be able to meet this need for this family member and on like that. If you are all in with that individual, it is customary, customary and routine that you would give them access through a, 
uh, technology like they're talking about where they would be able to evaluate everything you've got. Okay, even the ones they're not managing. Even the ones they're not managing because they need okay. to see what you have and over time see what happens with those. Are they growing? Are they shrinking? Because if they're trying to get asset allocation right, they've got to see if, well, we, we have this target. We want you to be 30% big company and this account over here is shrinking, so we're too heavily right now in big company or whatever. So it is normal. The real question I have for you by how you've asked this, this is somebody that you said your wife's family raves about? Yes. So it doesn't sound like you're completely sold on this individual handling your money. No, and part of it is they they want to manage our 401ks for 1%. Whew. And exactly, there's only a few options of funds that I can pick for a 401k, so why do I need you to manage that? You don't. Right. Right. Exactly. So this is somebody who works in the 1% business, is what I call it, where they charge you 1% on everything you have breathing in your life, and that's how they make their money. Right. And actually, that's they give us a discount for 401ks for regular brokerage accounts. They want one and a half percent. One and a half? Yeah. That's very high. You know, I, I hear the reluctance in your voice. I would like for you to talk to other people as well as this individual who your wife's family has adored. Because right. you don't adore this individual. I can tell. Yeah, it's they want a lot for for what they'd be doing. And of course as the account grows the the percentage goes down, but it's still quite a lot a bit of money down. you're paying. All right. What I would recommend to you if you do want somebody's guidance and advice and direction, I would like you to go to the NAPFA website, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, N A P dot org. Find some people near you. Since you already have this one person, find four others in your zip code area, talk to them, meet with the ones that most intrigue you, and figure out who you really want handling your money and make sure whoever it is signs a fiduciary pledge to you that they will always and only do what's in your best interests. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something that I need to get some generic assets to get past. One of the federal agencies whose job it is to check up on what the banks are up to, it has absolutely done backflips to make it clear that they are hostile to consumers, that they are hostile to you and me. In fact, the new head of the Office of the Controller of the Currency, a guy named Odding, said that he's very banker-supportive and... Its customers are the bankers, not you and me. Now, let me tell you how this plays out in real life. In an audit of a couple of dozen banks, the controller of the currency found that fake accounts were being opened at banks other than Wells Fargo, not in the numbers that were open at Wells Fargo, but they will not disclose the banks. Now, come on. How are you and me as consumers going to know who it is who's trying to stab us in the back 
if we can't even know who the banks are. I know a lot of reporters have been snooping around trying to find people that'll leak who the banks are, and there have been no leaks so far. But this is a problem. Here we are, 10 years out from incredible criminal behavior from so many of the nation's banks. Nobody ever goes to jail. They get bailed out with trillions of dollars from you and me. And now we have a fox guarding the hen house. We have somebody who is contemptuous of you and me, the American person, the American people, the taxpayer, and only looks at his job as being there to be an apologist and a protector for the nation's banks that have brought so much harm to this country. Shame on him. We got to fix this. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. The new report out that I read in Supermarket News, because I'm a dull guy and I read things like that, and it's about a new industry poll of where you enjoy shopping the most for your groceries. And the place on top is on top or just about at the top of the list year after year after year, and it's called Wegmans. Wegmans, if you're from the Northeast, you're familiar with, they just run a superior operation. Following close behind them is a Florida-based chain called Publix, which is in various states in the eastern seaboard. Third place, Trader Joe's. Fourth place, Aldi. Uh, Trader Joe's and Aldi are corporate siblings, and Trader Joe's is a more creative, more fun, more affordable, Whole Foods kind of place, and Aldi is just an absolute deep discount supermarket. Soon will be the third largest supermarket chain in the United States. But when you look past them and you look at how others did, the largest supermarket chain in the country is not principally a supermarket. It is Walmart. And Walmart, unfortunately, came out at the bottom of this list. And Walmart has not been able to move the needle yet on how people feel about the experience of shopping in its stores. The biggest thing that I found looking through this survey is how regional supermarket chains generally have no image in the marketplace anymore, and they certainly don't have the pricing power anymore. And so they are really dinosaurs, not yet extinct like dinosaurs, but headed that way. Whole Foods is now obviously one of the tentacles of Amazon, and Amazon, after a year of running it, has decided that they're going all in on Whole Foods basically being an outlet for Amazon Prime members. And everything about the experience now is about that. Uh, Christopher Crew was talking about being in Whole Foods yesterday and how clear the trend was with the signage, the pricing, everything about being a Prime member. They have color coding. 
And if something has a blue placard, it's a deal only available for Amazon Prime. If something's on sale, Amazon Prime members get an additional discount. And if you get the Amazon Visa card, you get an additional 5% discount on your whole order. Almost all the shopping done in Whole Foods now is done by people that are Amazon Prime members. And Amazon is using it as the delivery outlet for free delivery of groceries. And they just uh, added a whole bunch of cities in an announcement I saw last week of all the cities where it's available. So Whole Foods is transitioning from being a supermarket geared towards people that really want an elegant shopping experience, or people who are looking for things that are organic, to now being part of the Amazon infrastructure and Amazon ecosystem, and that's really who it's for. If you're not a Prime member, gosh, I don't know why you'd go there. And JR is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, JR. How you doing? Doing great, Clark. How are you today? Good, thank you. You have a complicated thing to throw my way. Yes, I do. What's that? Um, I we have recently in our HOA we recently elected a new board of directors, and one of the issues that we want to tackle is our completely outdated covenants and restrictions and bylaws. Are you a mandatory homeowners association or voluntary? uh, Voluntary. Oh, so you have uh, like some common area that you take care of the landscaping and you have swim tennis. We we have common area and we have a pond and that's really all the amenities that we have. Okay. All right. And what is the strong need that you as a new board member and your fellow board members see to rewrite the original documents that usually nobody ever looks at right well let me clarify actually when you asked if it was a voluntary or mandatory hoa all the homeowners are part of the hoa oh so everybody's that's called mandatory everybody's required to be a member correct okay all right so the rules are outdated for what you need now and the covenants are drawn in a way that doesn't make sense Today, right. is it's just a lot point? of legal legalese, and it, we just want to make it more readable. And there are definitely some restrictions that we want to change. Right. So you're dealing with two different issues there. When you have a mandatory homeowners association, a lot of that legalistic lingo is actually based on state law requirements for community associations either uh, homeowners associations or condo associations. And so you may not be able to change that stuff. Now, you get to specific rules that are the area that are the things that become a flashpoint for people in the community. That's where you most often want to have impact. And some of those things would have to be in the uh, documents themselves and others can be decided by the board, the newly elected board, to change policy, to change rules. It gets confusing sometimes which is which. Do you have a management company 
managing the homeowners association? We do, and uh, the the former board. That's part of the reason they were voted out. Actually, uh, people are not happy with the management company at all. Okay. All right. Do you have a uh, community specialist lawyer? Yeah. We don't. We weren't sure exactly where we needed to turn for help with this. All right. I can help you with this. There's one organization in the United States that this is what they do. It's called Community Associations Institute, CAI. And the website is caionline.org. Okay. And your association can join for a um, couple hundred dollars can join CAI and then you have access to tons of resources that will help you shop for a, a new manager for your community it'll help you find a lawyer who knows um, association law in your state and there's guidance available because in in any big metro area there will be uh, like a CAI chapter where interested board members can go and learn from other associations and from experts in the business. And in the biggest metro areas, there will be paid professionals that are available to you for guidance that are uh, you know, paid that are available to you because you're a CAI member association. Fantastic. We'll definitely check that out. It's possible that your community has been a CAI member and just nobody knows with the turnover in the board, which you might find out if you contact your local CAI chapter. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Clark. And by the way, what you're going through with a cleaning of the house and starting over, this is common in associations. And any lawyer that you talk to about this, JR, they've heard this story before, they've dealt with it before, and they're going to know how to guide you in what you should do next. So Fantastic. Best to you and your fellow new board members. I have been on association boards before, and anybody who goes on association board, thank you for doing it, and you're crazy for doing it at the same time. Casey is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Casey. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Casey. How can I serve you? Well, I'm within $300 of paying off my current loan on a vehicle. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a five-year loan, and I'm paying it off in four years. I would have paid it off in three, except that I had... you know, tremendous amount of repair expenses. So now I'm looking at buying a new car or a new used car in the fall. At that point, I'll have two lines of credit open. And when I looked at my credit report, um, it said I had 18% used, which I think it's good to be under 25. Good to be under 30. Good to be under 30. Okay. And then it indicated that when it was explaining how they get to the overall picture of the of your credit score, said that the number of credit lines open affects your number, and it seemed to indicate that having three lines of credit was better than two. 
So once I pay off my car, I'll go down to two. Is that going to affect my score and make it go lower? All right, my so let me, let me understand something from you, Casey. Do you have no credit cards? I have two credit cards. Okay, so you have the two credit cards, you have the auto loan, and is there any other credit you have in your life other than those three items? No. And the credit cards, if you're at 18% utilization, you're using very little of the available credit on those two. Yes. I don't, I don't think you need to worry too much because the things that matter on what makes up your credit score overwhelmingly, two things are what really set the pattern. One is that you pay every bill you have every month on time. And my credit report indicated that I do. Fantastic. And then the second is what percent of your available credit you're using. And you're doing great with that at 18%. So there's the other factors, each are so small in and of themselves that I don't think you need to particularly worry. If you want to try to give your score a little bit of a booster, if you were to get down from 18% utilization to under 10, that would give okay. a little bit of a booster to your score. But you're probably already somewhere, um, you in the upper 700s for your score? I'm currently at 805. 805. You, you have nothing you need to fret about or worry about. So I got a different okay. question for you. Okay. The car has caused you a little bit of aggravation with having to do repairs. But the car is only going to be five years old when you, four years old when you pay it off, right? No, it was a used car, and so it's from 2006. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's fine. Pay it off, dump it. And when you look at used cars, I don't know how old a new used car you want to look at, but there's a real sweet spot in the market right now for vehicles that are three to four years old. Three to four, okay. And and then using your website, I was able to find information that it's best to look in the fall for prices because they have a bigger selection. So yeah, and although this year... they would be now. This year, there's such disruptions in pattern from a huge wave of leases that occurred three years ago with those vehicles being turned into dealers, I wouldn't worry as much about the calendar, and I would worry more about getting a reliable used car. Yeah, because last year I spent $3,000 on repair. Right, understood. If I didn't have that expense, the car would have been paid off last year. Well, that's why I'd love for you to either go to the library or buy access to Consumer Reports And they've just put out their newest data on the most reliable used cars to buy. And I think that's a good place to start so that you have a list of what are the ones that maybe uh, 2013, 2014, 2015 model year vehicles that have proven to be very reliable and stick with those as you search and you can find one at a price point you're comfortable with and get a vehicle that you improve the odds it'll treat you well on the road. And I have an updated guide on Clark.com 
to how to buy a used vehicle and the steps I want you to go through step by step, please take a chance to look at that in addition to looking at Consumer Reports. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Jason, you got one of those hey. red light tickets, huh? I sure did. State of Maryland delivered uh, courtesy of the U.S. Postal Service a nice letter to my door stating that I owed them $75 for a red light that I'd run at a soccer tournament down in Potomac. And here I'm looking at it, and there's really no proof. It just shows me going through an intersection with no light or anything else and just says I owe them $75. And you want to know, do you really need to pay it? Well, I want to know if it's legit because they're, they're really not showing me that I've run a red light. There's, there's no evidence that the light was red. The only lights that I'm looking at are yellow as I'm going through the intersection. Right. So it, it varies by state whether you can choose to ignore a red light ticket or you got real consequences if you ignore it. And mm-hmm. where do you live in the country? Upstate New York. And how often are you going to go to Maryland? <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe two or three times uh, in the next five years, I'm guessing. If I go down to D.C. for a visit, i got to drive through. Right. So these don't result in points on your license, which they probably Good. told you on the ticket, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. normally you, you're guilty till proven innocent with a red light camera ticket. Yep. So... The reason I asked how often you go back and all that, because when you're out of state, it's tough because you might have a collection agency come after you for the ticket or whatever. It's not going to lead by anything I've ever seen. A red light camera ticket is not going to lead to a license suspension or anything like that. Um, And normally, if you show up in court to fight a red light camera ticket, you'll do okay. But in a case where you don't go there often, I'm going to leave it to your judgment, and I would go search on the web and see what lawyers in Maryland are saying about red light tickets in Maryland. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning in to The Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals, we got our deal diggers hard at work at ClarkDeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet and they're on a variety of consumer items check out clarkdeals.com